Last Sunday, last week, we started a series of sermons about everyday faith, about how to follow Jesus as we're settling back into what is starting to seem normal. This morning's sermon is How to Seek the Peace of the City. We've asked four people to share about what seeking peace means to them, or what they would like it to mean, or how they do either as part of PMC or in their daily life. We will hear from Kim Bonner, Barry Frisbee, Katrina Miller, and LaVon Blowers in that order. And as you listen, please think about ways that you can seek the peace of our city. So Kim, please come and share with us. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim Bonner, and you may not have met me yet. I'm pretty new to Portland, pretty new to PMC, and pretty new to uh, the Mennonite community in general. I actually found this church on Google Maps. I, I am intrigued, and I was intrigued by the tagline that I saw on the church website, Seeking the Peace in the City. Because the passage comes from Jeremiah, and when I think about who this was written to, this is a letter written to people who were about to go into exile, to a people who were oppressed, to, to a people who were facing incredible trial, and yet they were called to seek the peace of their city, of their oppressors, of those who, who maybe didn't desire their well-being or the perpetuation of their faith, their culture. And I think if that was God's challenge to them, how much more so for us? What, what does that look like? And one of the things I really appreciate about this community is that there are so many practical ways to serve one another, to serve our, our local community, and to serve in our world. And so I wanted to share about two of the, the PMC activities that have really inspired me, because I think it's when we seek the peace for, for others, for, for our community, I think that also returns to us. And so one of the things I want to share about is something that many of you have already participated in. It's called Night Strike. It's on Thursday, uh, every second Thursday of the month. And this is a group that meets with individuals who are experiencing houselessness. And there's everything from serving food and popcorn to painting nails to washing feet to cutting hair, they really need hair cutters if, if you know how to cut hair. But what I love about this is the focus is not on how efficiently, how quickly can we serve, but the focus is about how do we connect with people? And what I've loved about that is this past Thursday, getting to chat with one of the gentlemen who I, who I see frequently, who's told me he has 700 ties, including a tie with his face on it. 
And this past Thursday, he was wearing that tie that has his face on it again and again. And he promised me that in his on his birthday, which was a month and 10 days from Thursday, he was going to show up in this red suit, red hat, red tie, which was what, what his outfit was in that tie. And it's, it's just those connections that someone is seen, that they're valued, and that there is an exchange. There's another individual who comes and he consistently brings flowers and he drops off these beautiful wildflower bouquets to every lady. This is someone who is, is receiving food, receiving clothing, but wants to give back. Another member of this community knows that I love art and so will give me art books. And what I love about that is we're not, we're not trying to place people on a plane of them and us, but it's an opportunity to, to connect with our neighbors who we may not have a chance to connect with every day. So if you're interested, we do have a number of slots open on Thursday, October 13th, particularly for our youth. Um, I think that's a day off school. So if you're interested, please come chat with me after church. Send me an email. My email's in the bulletin. Another opportunity to, to seek peace in our city is coming up in about a week. And this is family promise. And I am so delighted that, uh, that Susan Voss Rothmeyer has really spearheaded this for our church. We have four families that are going to come and stay at PMC for a week. And I'm so grateful for the ways that so many of our community members have already signed up for slots. We had over 150 volunteering opportunities. And at this point, we only have a few left. So if you want to get involved this time around, check the bulletin board in the back. If you don't have a chance this time, we get the opportunity to host these families over Thanksgiving week. And I can't think of a better way to practice Thanksgiving than to welcome people, than, than to host and, and connect. So these are just a few of the ways that, that I've really enjoyed um, getting to know people, getting to seek peace. And it doesn't always provide that inner peace. It often provides challenge and questions. But I think that's what God calls us to is not just the day-to-day -day moment of here's an interaction, I feel great about myself, I'm done, but really thinking about what are the systems that I participate in that perpetuate these, these challenges for affordable housing, these, these challenges that I am seeing the outputs of. And so I'm so grateful that, that as a community, we, we have this opportunity to seek peace together. Thank you. Hi, I'm Barry Frisbee. Um, I am on table and I'm also teach the middle schoolers here at church. Um, and I've worked with children all my life and I kind of want to relate um, this to the theme of peace in the city. Um, working with, teaching with, and hanging... Ooh. 
Yeah, I got it. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, working with raising children, hanging out children is one of the highest callings we have in our lives. Highest calling in my life. There might be a higher calling, but I'm not sure what that is. Uh, Jesus told us to encourage children to come to him, that children were the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and that we were to enter the kingdom as a child does. And Jesus also told us um, whoever causes a child to stumble, it would be better for a millstone to be placed on their neck and thrown into the depths. It's funny, Kurt doesn't include that in his recruiting posters for Sunday school. But don't worry, that doesn't really happen. Um, but Jesus values and cares for children and how we care for children. Right now, I teach math, science, and social-emotional learning for Portland Public Schools. I teach in a program that's called Day and Residential Treatment Program. The, I teach kids math, science, who are in Day and Residential Treatment Centers. Now, my first assignment was I taught in a psychiatric day treatment. Most of the staff at the psychiatric day treatment were of color. Most of the supervisors were black. The treatment staff were black, Latino, Mayan, and indigenous, and the staff were very diverse in their sexual preferences and pronouns. The majority of students that I taught in the program were of color. About 80% of them were black, indigenous, Hispanic, Latino, Latinx, Mayan, Asian, biracial, multiracial, multiracial. And most of the students I taught were gay, lesbian, transgender, gender fluid, non-binary or bisexual. Um, and I just threw out a bunch of terms. If anyone is interested, I have some, I have a good resource that explains all those terms. Um, just put a note either in the bullet uh, on your pew or just send me an email and I'd be happy to get you that resource. It's a pretty cool resource. Um, all of the students, in addition to all that, experienced trauma in their lives, various kinds of neglect and violence and bullying, loss above and beyond what um, anyone should ever have to experience. And the other thing all the students had in common is about a week or so before seeing me, they all attempted suicide or serious self-harm. And I was in front of them as a cisgendered, that means male, in my case, straight white male teacher saying, hey, do you guys want to learn how to solve systems of equations using substitution? <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Um, but I learned a lot working there. I, I learned that given the right support, healing can occur. In this case, the support the kids needed was uh, two um, master level therapists, various interns, a gifted milieu counselor, and a psychiatrist. These children received individual group family therapy, med management, and a safe place to learn. And it made a huge difference in their lives. I also learned that healing is messy, messy work. Um, Healing often involved tears, anger, setbacks, vulnerability, broken pencils, tipped over chairs, and colorful language not generally heard at church. Um, for, um, and I also learned that healing can take a long, long time. Um, none of the kids were completely healed when they left. 
for many it was gonna be a lifelong experience. Um, one student at the graduation ceremony explained her progress as, as a year ago, I did not wanna live. Today I'm arguing about whether or not I wanna do schoolwork. Progress, right? I enjoyed teaching there, but was transferred to a new school. Oh, backing up a little bit, I also heard the children's stories. I heard about the harm that had been done to them, either in case reviews or by their own words. And to be honest with you, I was really wanting to buy some millstones in a boat for the people who had harmed these kids. Um, but I enjoyed working there, but was transferred to a new school site. Uh, they needed my talents elsewhere. And I still teach math, science, and social emotional learning. But now I teach students who have harmed other children. I teach the very people who have offended and hurt the children I previously taught. Um, and these students have committed crimes towards others. And in lieu of incarceration, they chose treatment. And the support and treatment they receive is extensive. Positive peer culture, social skills training, DBT for the therapists out there, individual family therapy, restorative justice. And part of the restorative justice for the students is a process that's called clarification. Clarification is where victims and the family members of the victims and their own family confront and talk to the student about what their behavior caused in their lives. Um, after 16 hours of therapy, plus having to go through and face uh, difficult truths, often students arrive in my classroom emotionally drained and just tired. And I'm still the teacher at the front of the classroom saying, hey, you wanna find the vertex of a parabola today? <laughs> but an unexpected thing happened to me while working with these students. Instead of hating them or wanting to put millstones around, my, around their necks, I found that I liked these students and was rooting for their success. Um, given the right support and accountability, these students who once harmed others changed their behaviors. The success rate for this program for the students who complete their treatment is 97% as measured by 10-year recidivism rates. They do not harm other students again. They catch them early on. Um, and I learned that at the end of the day, these are just kids. Given the right support, we all flourish. Um, I think allowing children and families to have the support they need to heal brings peace to the city. Uh, my experience of listening and working with these students and staff from different backgrounds and sexualities has increased my compassion for everybody. Um, and I hope that my increased compassion helps bring peace to this city and to this church. Um, a practical piece of advice I would give you is what I have learned is often in interactions, I have a choice of being supportive or vindictive. You know, it'd be so easy to look at a student and say, of course you're miserable. Look at the choices you made. <sighs> um, you deserve this. But when I'm supportive, I find that justice and peace and right relationships roll from that. 
So my advice is this week, if you have a choice of being vindictive or supportive, choose supportive. It will help bring the peace of the city. And like my students, I'm still learning, I'm still healing, and I'm still growing. Thanks. And if I do my work really well, I'll put Barry out of a job. <laughs> so maybe it's because I was an English major in college, or maybe it's because while I was growing up, my dad pointed my sister and me to the dictionary over and over again and nurtured a curiosity about words and their meanings. But the thing that really caught my attention as I was thinking about how to seek the peace of the city were the words, how to. So how to are words that typically point to an action. Think of the number of Google searches that start with how to. How to make a salad. How to fix a mower, which I recently did. How to trim a tree. Google helps us find the instructions for or the actions to take for what we want to do. So how to seek the peace of the city. In my experience, those actions, those instructions say show up, keep showing up, listen, listen deeply and intentionally, live at the edge of what's comfortable or just beyond that edge into what's uncomfortable and challenging, be vulnerable, admit when you don't know the answers, be willing to be wrong or to change your mind. My work for the last 20-something years has been at the intersection of early childhood education and early childhood mental health. Did you know that when a baby is born, its brain, physically, is about, the quarter of the, about a quarter of the size of the adult brain? By age three, it's 80% of adult size, and by five, it's 90% of adult size. Think what would happen if children's feet grew that fast. <laughs> so that's talking about the physical size of the brain, but, but corresponding with that, that we can't see, is the exponential development of neural connections in the brain. Something like one million new neural connections per second. The experiences that young children have between birth and age five make a profound difference in shaping the rest of their lives, one way or another. And that's what has drawn me to my work with SMMS over the last few years, Sunnyside Mennonite Montessori School. Seeking the peace of the city with SMMS looks like showing up to sell pies or plants, showing up as a substitute in the classroom, showing up for board meetings, Looks like listening, listening to what we hear from teacher Danae, listening to what we hear from parents. It looks like being willing to make uncomfortable financial decisions. For example, we recently made a decision to support Danae's enrollment in a class that focuses on supporting children with disabilities or other special needs in a Montessori environment. The cost of the class was higher than the budgeted line item that we had for, for continuing education. And 
but we decided, that, so that, that causes discomfort when we don't have that, that line item right there. Uh, but we decided that this was an opportunity that um, was a risk that was worth taking because it enables us to better support all of the children who come to the program. When I say us, I mean SMMS as a school, but I also mean us as in all of us at PMC. SMMS is a ministry of the church and is one of the ways that PMC as a, as a body seeks the peace of the city. If you happen to be looking for more ways to seek the peace of the city, SMMS could use some help on the board. We could use a sub. And we have two or three openings for more kids. As many of you know, I also recently had to step back from my day-to-day -day involvement with SMMS as the result of starting a new full-time job. I was hired to build a new statewide program called the Early Childhood Suspension and Expulsion Prevention Program. Catchy title. There's an epidemic of young children being kicked out of childcare and preschool at rates far higher than school-aged children. It's a problem that has many root causes. A, a big one is systemic racism. And there's well-documented evidence that children whose skin is black or brown and children with disabilities are far more likely to be expelled than their white peers for the exact same behaviors. You may have heard of the preschool to prison pipeline. When young children get kicked out of their early education settings, they're more likely to be kicked out again later. They're more likely to end up with Barry. And when they're kicked out again and again, there's a multi-layered cumulative effect that impacts academic achievement, social relationships, feelings of self-worth, and ultimately the ability to hold a job. So how do I seek the peace of the city in this work? I show up and I keep showing up. So many meetings. <laughs> I listen. I listen to those who celebrate the creation of this program, and there are many, and to those also many who dread what's coming and hold a deep fear that they will be saddled with caring for children they don't know how to support. Every day in this job, I'm living at the edge of what's comfortable. I'm frequently cross crossing into the uncomfortable and the vulnerable. Just this past Friday, I was called out by a colleague of color for values and preferences and communication style that are based in whiteness. White values and ways of being about response times, response times to emails, for example, feelings of urgency. She was right. It was done kindly, and it was done in the context of relationship, and, and I'm grateful for it. It's also uncomfortable. It's vulnerable. It's necessary. This past week was a particularly tough week. The coming week is also looking tough. But it's also good work. I am both humbled and thrilled to be in a position where I'm allowed to do this work. I think that's how it goes in seeking the peace of the city. Showing up, showing up again, listening, listening some more, listening to the voices that are often missed, staying vulnerable, staying engaged, 
being willing to be wrong, being willing to change my mind or try something new or different. And I don't know that I could do that work if it wasn't for this community of people and knowing that I can come back to this community week after week and that we are all working together to seek the peace of the city. I was on the search committee for an associate pastor this past year. During two different candidate interviews, our committee was asked the same question. What does our peace stand mean to us at PMC? And I've thought a lot about that since then. What does it mean to seek the peace of the city? Seeking the peace of the city is found in the PMC website. It's in the church bulletin. And it is often heard from the pulpit. These words have called me to see peace in a new way, in a way that I didn't understand before. In the church where I grew up, peace was viewed as an inner peace resulting from accepting Jesus, or as an outer peace that meant one didn't serve in the military. And that was it. End of story. Because my experiences within PMC and the larger Mennonite church, I've come to experience peace in a newer and much deeper and more complicated way. I would call that deeper vision of peace shalom. It turns out God's vision of peace is a lot broader than what I was taught as a child. It involves all our relationships with all of God's creatures. I now pray for, God, for peace, not just for my own heart, but also for this world, in our country, in our city, and in our own congregation. I now understand that when we work to decrease the guns and organ, we are doing God's work of building shalom. I now see that doing uh, hiking trips with joined folks experiencing homelessness, we are working to break down barriers between people. I've learned that working to become an anti-racist, become anti-racist, is part of God's work. I've realized that caring for each other within our congregation is also part of peace. I look forward to building shalom in new ways in the future, such as volunteering with Family Promise. That theme of seeking the peace of the city encourages me to do the work of shalom. It has become my prayer, not just for our city, but for our neighborhood, for my relationships, for my family, for our environment, for our church, and for our world. MCUSA shared a prayer by Amy Yoder McLaughlin, which was used in many churches this last Palm Sunday. As you listen to this prayer, I encourage you to think of new ways God is calling you to make shalom a part of your life. And we will have a time of silence after the prayer. Holy God, you created us to love and to be loved. You create us in your image and likeness, desiring humanity's connection and relationship to one another in your creation. And yet... Since the beginning, we've struggled to be at peace with each other. We have struggled to love ourselves and to love each other in a way you have deeply desired for us. Give us courage to love ourselves and our families with difficult conversations, with compassionate listening, and with healthy boundaries. 
Jesus Christ, you showed us the way of peace in your words and teachings and in your life, death, and resurrection. And yet, like your disciples, our vision for your shalom is too narrow. We have at times limited your vision of peace to that of our own inner peace and security. We have forgotten that peace means wholeness for all people and creation. Give us courage to work in solidarity with the poor for a world where we have all access to what they need. To create lasting shalom by loving and stewarding the earth you have created. To aid those who are fleeing terrible circumstances of violence. And to confront the powers that create unjust policies in our churches, in our community pol policing practices, in our education systems, and in our government structures. Spirit of life, you inspire and compel us towards creative peacemaking. Move us beyond our confessions into creativity. Move us beyond our guilt into inspiration. Move us beyond our shame into a fuller vision of shalom for your world. Move us into being creators of peace in our communities, co-conspirators of wholeness in our churches, accompaniers of peacemaking efforts on the borders, and places of international conflict. Amen.